0: And we're recording. Drew Meredith from Wattle Partners. How you going, mate? Pretty good. Pretty good. Beautiful weather. It's pouring outside, but we're here in the soundproof studio. <laughs> Nothing. Semi-soundproof. Semi-soundproof. Um, I've got to actually, actually got to issue a, a bit of a note here. I'm sorry about the audio on the last two cents for anyone that listened. I went back and listened to it, and it was atrocious. Monique, our producer, was away, and I thought, how hard can it be? <laughs> and I found out. So I apologize. i uh, since corrected the episode but here we are in the studio it's much better for recording anyway mate what have you been working on
1: Uh, a lot we just uh deliver we deliver quarterly reviews for all of our clients so we've just sent out about 150 reports in two weeks so i haven't our team has (laughs) (laughs) and keeping super busy and then we're planning for this uh esg retreat in uh, two weeks time down in tasmania cool sold out sold out
0: you were stressing for a little while (laughs) (laughs) we don't say stress no, but it's sold out. So, just to fill everyone in, so Drew um, introduced Insight Network, or he introduced Insight Network last week. Runs a, a fantastic business along with Jamie and the team. Uh, going to on a four-day retreat focused on ESG investments down in Tassie. Exactly. It's like uh, glamping, is yeah.
1: it? Glamping twin share, bringing together kind of institutional and advice Tw- advisors. Yeah. <laughs> Just got snuck that Definitely, one in. <laughs> yeah. Not for everyone. There are some twin shares. Okay. It's a retreat, but cover, uh, some super interesting people. You know, Bob Brown from the Greens, uh, Paul Oosting from Future Super, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, some super interesting people talking about challenge with climate, environment, biodiversity, renewable energy, mm. all the big investment issues.
0: That's great. Um, and heaps of financial advisors and. Advices and,
1: gonna... and some industry super funds joining us as well.
0: Yeah, great. Good. Um, I did see Karis uh, put some things on LinkedIn. Looks like it's going to be a great event. Definitely. Pumped. Yeah, cool. Um,
1: and you, I, I got an invite to something else <laughs> in the
0: next few weeks as well. Yeah, this is in December. It's happening December 9th in Melbourne. Details fully TBA, TBC. Now, we've, um, we've hired out a room at the State Library of Victoria for an event sort of Friday night, so there'll be lots of lubrication, lots of drinks flowing, um, which would be just the way an event like this should be. And we'll be talking about investing, we'll be talking about Uh, everything that you can imagine. Um, So just a bit inspired, coming off the back of FinFest, but also we wanted to do this uh, earlier in the year and we just didn't really get a chance to. So you'll be there, you'll be hosting, maybe. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Just that's the first time I mentioned that <laughs> to Drew, but now he knows. Let's do what uh, I'm told most yeah, of the time. Yeah. Uh hopefully bottle partners will sponsor it as well. Um obviously at no cost to <laughs> just be there. Um and yeah, we I can confirm that I tried to get a former Australian Prime Minister to show up. I don't know if I can say this on air, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. It's gonna be like 40 grand for 40 minutes. And I was like, what? Keating? <laughs> No, though, that would have been great. The treasurers and that are there, but you can get them. They're a bit not, easier. <laughs> was bad. They don't understand the value of money. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can have some superstar guests. They'll all be confirmed probably in the next seven days or so. Keep an eye on social media. We're only going to fit 250 in the room. Um, it's really weird. Only. Yeah. 250. But, only 250. But it's really weird, right? Because obviously you've got a lot of experience in this. I was looking around Melbourne and I should have just come across the team but I was remote when I was trying to figure this out. You can do events, 50, 100 people, you can do at a restaurant. right? But if you want to go into that next level, it gets really expensive. And then there's like this this part where they're like, yeah, we can do up to 200 in this style. But then if you go above that, it's just like it gets. It's just like exponentially harder to find convention
1: something centers and yeah, and very then you've got to go five
0: hundred or a thousand. Yeah, and then it's like, oh yeah, you want the oh you wanted the microphone or you wanted the, you wanted someone to check people in the door. Well, that's an extra twenty thousand dollars. And I'm wow. Is this how you hit me up for sponsorship? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, mate, uh, what are you thinking? <laughs> um, no, but yeah, so we're we're doing that. It's going to be heaps of fun. Um, just loving to get getting out again and meeting people like. Going to the I event, IN event in uh, Noosa was so much fun. Uh, going to FinFest in Sydney. So if you want to come along, keep an eye out on social media. There are a few fake accounts getting around. Not those ones, the other good ones. <laughs> um, and today, mate, we're talking uh, Q&A. We've got the Two Cents episode every Saturday morning. 7 a.m. is when it hits your podcast player. We've got questions about um, negative returns, about... Um, different ETFs, like the gear ETF, got brought up again. Big Mac sent in a question about that. Luke's asking about DRPs. Uh, Roka says, "How do ETF compounds when if you uh, when you regularly keep investing? Uh, when to sell a loser?" Uh, someone asked in the the, the core forums about calculating the difference between putting money in a mortgage or an offset account versus investing, and and that's basically going to be the show today. So may, maybe the first question that you've got this week is. Um, why are my returns negative exactly it's uh, i mean delivering
1: quarterly reviews a lot of groups would only
0: deliver an annual review
1: and then that only covers a certain period so we're delivering 12 month uh, mm. re- returns uh, every quarter and yeah surprisingly the one of the biggest questions is why are my returns negative negative? and then the, the simple statement is you know we've just seen the biggest change in economic policy in 50 years yeah. So, you've seen after 40 years of interest rates essentially falling from 17%, like your parents will tell you that, you know, I paid a mortgage off at 17%. Yeah, yep. house price of my house went up 15 times as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going <gonna, I'm> <laughs> to get Just some complaints on that one. <laughs> uh, well, now it's the complete opposite. You've seen yep. interest rates go from zero to, I think it's about 235 the cash rate at the moment, yep. my mortgage has gone over 5% already. Yeah, I'm 54 And this, you know, essentially you've had the biggest tailwind for all asset prices for the last 40 years. Every time something bad happened, central banks or the government would step in, interest rates would fall lower. Mm-hmm. And now it's reversed and reversed. Not only is it reversed, uh, the 40-year trend, it's reversed more quickly than at any point, essentially, in history. It seems so like
0: these things are getting quicker.
1: Everything's quicker now. Yeah. Like The Nasdaq's down 30. The S&P's down 20. And all these issues are being priced in
0: almost immediately and Mm. then repriced. So do you... Okay, here's a bit of a different question. I was listening to a podcast on the way into the city this morning. Do you think that it's actually a net negative to you reporting to your clients quarterly? Because most people can just avoid it, right? They can just be like annually do the update. If it's bad results, you could then be like...
1: I I think my daily might be a bit excessive, but I feel like... What we've seen is the most successful investors do a quarterly update, whether that's a pension fund, the future fund, they'll always bring some discipline and and review things quarterly. The key for us is being not feeling like we have to do something in that quarterly. So obviously report, but don't necessarily think you have to uh, make changes every quarter.
0: Is that what they say? Is that the follow-up? Like, why is my portfolio negative, followed by... What am I doing? What are you doing about it?
1: That's, and that's the kind of what we try and tell the story of in the quarterly. So we provide an update on what's been happening, what performance has been, why, and then why, what changes we're we're recommending and why. So it it definitely lead in, I mean, for contrast, I think the average balanced fund, uh, is down 7% for the 12 months to 30 September. Hmm. Um, the future fund is down 3% for the 12 months, but they hold a lot of unlisted assets that won't be repriced for the next nine or 12 months. So, everyone, yeah. doesn't matter how, how good you are as an investor, everyone's down because both asset, you know, bonds and equities have fallen.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, another thing that uh, maybe this is just a bit more topical is ANZ reported today. Uh, and it I just sank. Cr- it sank, yeah. It's yeah. down a few percent at the time of recording. So, we're recording this on Thursday, 27th, 27th of October. We generally record one to two days out from publishing. And um, do you want to just give us a highlight? Uh, I mean, there's only
1: one thing that matters here, and that's net interest margin. Mm. I've got so, that chart in front of me, actually. Yeah, and the net interest margin is essentially the difference between what the bank's lending to you at or mm. me at, and what they're paying on the other side of their book. Mm. Uh, and you just saw it sort of jump by what's that? Point two two, so twenty two basis points, mm. which is like twenty percent or or their thereabouts of their current net interest margin. So one from one point five eight to one point eight which mm-hmm. means they're making 22 basis points more profit essentially on every dollar lent. Yeah. And that just tells you their, their term deposit or their cash and funding rates are staying, they haven't changed as much, but their mortgage rates are going up as quickly as their cash rate is on the other side or even quicker mm. in this case. So positive for profitability, but naturally the question goes, well, what's happening to the loans when interest rates are going up so fast?
0: Yeah. So that's a, a lesson that probably a lot of newer investors don't appreciate is that, um, when interest rates go up, you typically see an expansion of the net interest margin because banks are lending long yeah. and they're borrowing short. yeah. So they ex- benefit from that increased, um, I guess, lending. I'm just going to turn the computer to you, mate, and basically show you here that you see the waterfall chart from the last net interest margin to this net interest margin. Most of it predominantly was made up by the term deposits. Yeah. So you can see pe- they're massively repricing the term deposit side, but then the loan side from like you know, asset repricing, whatever, isn't nearly as bad. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, like, like obviously in a year we could see mortgage stress, but right yeah, exactly. now the margin looks really good.
1: You could see very little mortgage stress. I mean, what they, they wrote back $230 million in provisions of potential bad debts, which means they think at this point it doesn't look very bad yet.
0: It doesn't look very bad yet. Yeah, true. Um,
1: we, we know from the pandemic that that can go up to a billion or two billion in, you know, a... Yeah.
0: CBAs went up massively and then they read like, un- 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 <laughs> un- them a year later and then everyone's like look at the profit yeah. <laughs> and if you took that out it was actually flat so exactly. yeah that's actually one that's actually a good point if you're looking at bank uh, financials I did a tutorial on this on the RASC education so it's just uh, exclude the um, the provisions from the underlying cash like measures uh, because of course they matter but if you're trying to get a true indication of where the bank is heading, you can remove that fluctuation and normalize it over time. Uh, so interestingly, like I was just looking at this and I was like, ah, here we go, ANZ, when this was brought up, I was like, okay. Um, so over the last five years, the, the share pro- ANZ share price is down 16%. Um, so you think, okay, well, maybe it makes it up in dividends. Total returns, this is Morningstar data, over five years is 1.7% per annum. Over 10 years is 5%. Obviously, we're excluding franking credits because that's a benefit to some, but not all investors. CBA's total return is 9% over five years and 9.6% over, to- over 10. So nearly double over 10 and 4x over 5. And
1: That's the reason why CBA is almost always the most expensive bank in the world.
0: Yeah, it's because it's just so much better. Yeah. And I think the big reason for this, if you go back a few years, is that ANZ had this regional expansion policy I can't remember what they called it. I think they had a name for it. But, um, yeah, I think the thing is CBA's just stuck to its knitting here in Australia, invested all of its money in tech, made it so you can get a loan in a couple of days now, um, and that's why we see better margins across the board. Whereas you look at ANZ still reeling from that experience. And Dolomites still helps too, I think. Oh yeah, Dolomites just like in the <laughs> like system. De-
1: deposit funding is like eighty percent of their book. Yeah. Which is streets ahead of everyone else. Which
0: means all their loans are funded by your bank deposits. Yep. And so much of that came from the old Dolomites. <laughs> 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 and that's what I was. Books. And that's what we're saying. Like so, of that um, net interest margin expansion, if you take the underlying numbers, the net interest margin went from one point five eight to one point seven one. Yeah. Seven. They benefited seventeen basis points just from TDs. Yeah. So they lost nine in asset repricing, but basically, m- nearly all that expansion comes from that. You know, not having to pay as much on the TDs. Yeah. And then lending long. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you look at then CBA, which is more deposit funding, it'll Should be even, even better expansion. expansion. Yeah, there's always
1: been closer to two, from memory.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah for me if i'm picking a bank it's kind of cba to be honest yeah i just think particularly with like the digital kind of space being a little bit uncertain i think it's just a really high quality bank but anyway a and z come out and uh you just it's a decent result probably yet to see the i think so profit was up most revenue was up
1: in most of their business lines uh net interest margins improving it's just how you feel about the outlook yeah and they're all down a fair bit this year so you know, if You if you're reasonably positive on the economy in the next five years, it looks starts to look attractive.
0: Yeah, agreed. Okay, so uh, the next question, uh, I don't know, this is not really a question, but uh, I, can't, I
1: can't see who it came from. I got stuck. Is this that Lynn, the Lynn Olden?
0: Yeah, so yep. apologies, we don't actually, I don't actually have the name here, but thanks, I've learned so much from your Q&As uh, on the podcast. Uh, buy now, pay later, buy now, pour later. Um, really enjoyed the the macro analysis with Craig Ferguson Um, Have you have yourself and Drew ever read stuff by Lynn Alden some interesting commentary here on the sovereign bond market and would love to hear more macro analysis around this
1: I hadn't but I went into the rabbit hole (laughs) last night I'm glad you did (laughs) uh, while my wife was out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and three hours later I came back out. Uh, I think there's so much macro. You just want to find people that are giving it in a kind of unique opinion. Um, this, I found it, I found it quite interesting. You know, the big difference is probably a lot of people are oversimplifying what's happening at the moment, comparing it to the seventies in terms of inflation. They were comparing to the events of the 1940s or Mm -hmm. Lynn Olden did. Um, but there's some super interesting points in there. I, I pulled out a quote, um, there was kind of talking about whether the Fed or the RBA will blink and at what point yeah. because of what we saw in the UK in the last few weeks as well.
0: And do you want me to read the quote? You can. <laughs> there is also a possibility, this is the quote, that the Fed will recognise it in advance and slow down rate hikes and other dollar-strengthening activities ahead of time, like the Reserve Bank of Australia has recently done. However, this does not seem to be the path that the Fed wishes to take because they wish to be viewed as credible fighters of inflation end quote interesting um has the okay there is so much happening in global macro at the moment
1: incredible like they they talk there's a lot of and I think what tends to happen I think my first thing was oversimplification where you read in the papers about what happened to the UK pension funds yeah uh, or you say that it's because of the massive debt that the UK has but there's more nuance to that and what this was talking about it was the impact of Having a budget deficit is fine, but when your budget deficit uh, it relies on the import um, importation of energy and the price of energy in Europe is out of control, well, it starts to put pressure on your currency mm. um, and your economy as well.
0: Yeah, um, and as we saw a few weeks ago, right? Like the the strategy of just well, we'll just invest our way out of it. Yeah, it uh, doesn't always gel, right? And that's now we've got a new. UK P- again. <laughs> new uk pm who's saying well it's going to be tough and it's going to be it's going to be really tough
1: so i feel like we're if we've learned anything from the last 20 years it's that governments and central banks will continue to try and dampen the business cycle you know they they mm-hmm. want to avoid a deep recession or a depression yeah and they'll do whatever they need to to stop it and it kind of feels like they're getting ahead by I- increasing interest rates so aggressively before the f- before the pressure's even felt.
0: Yeah. And then what we'll unwind and then what we'll, can, can cut it real quick too. Yeah. I don't think we're going Ju- to an
1: environment where you're gonna have seven percent interest rates for the next twenty years.
0: Yeah. Well don't quote me. <laughs> and that is a time stamp, that one. <laughs> so no, uh yeah, but unless you see maybe what happens in the what's happened in the UK.
1: Yeah.
0: Then that's kind of like we prob- you'd probably I don't know I feel like you'd be less inclined to say that if we were in ten percent inflation and it's all energy, energy driven rocketing. like you pull Ukraine Russia out of
1: that and you're in an environment where there is no energy problem
0: true true but or, there is or Brexit but, or but if okay so but if energy prices persist for long enough then you're going to have core inflation yeah exactly and and energy prices spread into everything else as well yeah eventually which and then that's the inflation that they in. need to fight yeah
1: so do you think you can't fight energy prices by increasing interest rates though <laughs>
0: you cannot No, it blunt It's a hammer <laughs> um but you, the thing is like they need to slow it down somehow right that's the only tool they have in their arsenal it's like they're building a house and they've only got one thing to do it's which where is, fiscal policy matters yeah. yeah but then they just come in three weeks ago and said we're going to spend more yeah. and then yeah the, <laughs> The BRA's over here, like, well, that's exactly what we don't need you to do right now. <laughs> um, but we'll keep buying your bonds anyway. Yeah, because they have to. Because they have to. Because otherwise, <laughs> the pensions are going to go down. Then oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> this is what happens when you go down this rabbit hole. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, so you so you think so you think
1: here in Australia we export inflation, we don't import it. Yeah, and until the currency falls, which it has been. Yeah. You know, being in net, and most of our commodities, like gas and oil, are all. Exported where I think when UK cut off, they have very little resources. Yeah, uh, and have always relied on gas and energy from the main mainland of Europe.
0: Yeah, they got a train that goes there as well. Um, but interesting. But we okay. are,
1: you know, the was the mini budget. They're predicting a fifty percent increase in energy prices in Australia yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you think, well, energy prices are going up, and my interest rates are going up. It's brutal. Isn't surely the increase in energy price will be enough for dampener on spending without adding a tr- you know, a tripling of your mortgage repayments to it. Yeah. I'm not running for politics.
0: <laughs> my uh yeah, my interest rate went from two point two fixed to five point four nine. Made to that's brutal. Variable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, variable now, it's all fixed. Yeah.
1: It's a lot of people that's, like us. It's a doubling. That's in, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah.
0: Barely seen it before.
1: And I, that's why I don't think it can last because you, ha- you never know what the impact of these interest rate rises are on the economy yet. You look around, people are still shopping. All the restaurants are full. And They're not going to be not doing that for long, yet.
0: honestly. <laughs> you never know. Our bar, we own a, a stake in a bar <laughs> for anyone that didn't know. <laughs> yep. Uh, Is it below, beneath Driver Lane? Beneath Driver Lane. Beneath <laughs> Driver Lane. If you like uh, your gins or your uh, whiskies, get down there. I'm, I'm usually there. <laughs>
1: Uh but it's then <laughs> after a rate hike yeah the business is slow for one day and then returns to normal yeah so people freak out for a day
0: and then yeah, they have a panic attack on their <laughs> way to work they're yeah. like I'm buying I'm lunch buy <laughs> <drinks>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying lunch so <laughs> next day they're back buying lunch Um yeah right I don't know I feel like there's still a bit of the, that sloshing money that's yeah, it's people still save saved a lot during and we've COVID. been locked
1: like if you've been in Melbourne you've been yeah. just over it
0: for everything and every opportunity but there's still super tight labour market though that's the thing that's probably the scariest thing from an inflation perspective yeah now that's gonna obviously like obviously it's like one of them it's a circular circular economy right like one of them has to fall well, out pretty Chris, quick oh, the,
1: the, the, we won't get to any other questions but um, <laughs> <laughs> the I mean the article there was an article in, on the ABC this week that talked about the fact that we you know labour uh, cost of labor is demonized, but corporate profits are at record levels. Corporate profit margins keep growing. Yeah, and you're seeing this. Pre- you know, if r- wage r- wage growth increases, we're going to increase interest rates. But if corporates keep making more money, you know, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. That's fine. You're s- starting to see this kind of rhetoric increase, and I'd assume more pressure. And probably the budget is more about taxing companies more and individuals less. I think.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm like sure someone too else philosophical, is gonna, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure someone else is going to. Please write in and share your view with us. Honestly, if you do have a view on this, please let us know. We do have more macro coming up. Um, I don't know if we've. I don't think we've shared yet at the time of this recording the Adam Grotzinger conversation, but that'll be going live asap. He's a bond manager out of the US. Uh, we'll also have uh, a few others. We'll have Lincoln Smith and Kev Tui talking about markets as well. So uh, lots coming up soon. Big Mac asks. Gear, well this is actually, oh yeah, it's a question. Gear pays a good dividend, so worth holding and potentially cashing in if it does have a good spike. Hyphen, your thoughts? Didn't we talk about Gear last week? I think so. It's really, yeah, we said that. It's yeah. all right for a tactical play. Yeah, yeah. So, thoughts? I'd
1: say no to a dividend play. Essentially, I think I looked at it, as yielding seventeen percent, but that yield is not a forward-looking yield. That's a summary of the last twelve months. And essentially, BHP, Rio, Fortescue, all these companies paid massive dividends, but they were based on massive profits, and they're always going to be a percentage of profits. Um, mm. So I wouldn't be expecting that dividend in the future. It's historic looking, yep. uh, and commodity prices are already falling. And we know that dividend, but uh, most of these companies don't do the old progressive dividend policies. They're just paying a percentage of free cash flow. Uh, so I'd be more, as we said last week, using it as a tactical, not trying to play dividends with it.
0: How many positions are inside GEAR? I can't remember. I think about... Just looking now. 20 to 50? Yeah, it's... Okay, so one of the telltale signs with me that something that should be a satellite or a tactical position is if it's an ETF, does it have a management fee over 50 basis points? If it does, it's probably giving you a fair indication it's towards the tactical end of the spectrum. Um, Just remember, if you do use something that's got leverage, you get leverage both ways. So you can just look at the performance chart of gear over time versus the index. The index looks like a the ocean is just like slowly going up and down and then there's gears like banging around like a i don't even know what on the surface there you're gonna get a lot of revs out of that thing i saw the
1: other one i saw as i pulled out the financial statements and how, you know they paid thirty, thirty million. 30 million in distributions, but fourteen uh, just fifty percent of that was from dividends. The other half was capital gains. So you'd think it's a dividend, but it's actually a distribution of capital gains.
0: Yeah, and it's so that's when you else. look at the historic yield on these websites, like our website, the best ETFs website, just pulls in ASX data, which by the way is capital gains and income. So yeah. it's really like we try and stress that enough, and that's what all of them basically show. It's not, yeah, it's it's not a true indication. There's no shortcut. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, and because it's su- such high revs, you're going to get turnover, and you're going to get a lot of constantly constantly yeah. changing inside the portfolio. So your tax outcome is probably going to be worse if you're a high income individual if you're holding versus maybe a vanilla portfolio. So, like it, over so over three years, the fund is negative two point six, and the index is two point seven positive. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I not not I not like yeah I don't like it. <laughs> the, the uh, next one's a question for you isn't it? Uh hi- the ETF up. guru, Hypothetic hull. What <laughs> happens to my ETF investments if the ETF provider was to go insolvent? Well, this is just another reason not I mean, this is a reason why I prefer ASX listed ETFs um with the exchange. You still own the underlying. Yeah. Um so you still own if it's a ASX shares ETF, you still own the ASX shares um I've always wondered, like, ETFs go out of business all the time. Like, they close down ETFs, and you're given the opportunity to sell on market, or they'll return the cash to you after a couple of weeks, typically. Yeah. But the thing is, I've always wondered what happens if the ETF provider or, like, maybe a share registry goes bust or something like that. That's, I think that's the more complicated question. I don't actually have the answer to that.
1: Custodian would be the risk. Custod- but even then, it's, you know, custodians just, most of these things will be managed under a custodian who would yeah. track the investments that, that you own directly. They're paid a small fee to do it uh, and essentially nothing. The nothing. custodian has control over, those broad control or protection of those assets. If the custodian goes bankrupt, they can't sell them and pay their own bills. Essentially, yeah. another custodian would be engaged to take over that custody role. Yeah. Uh, same thing with ETF providers. Yeah, Essentially, nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, at worst, an administrator takes over the company that runs it, and then appoints another manager to to take it over or tries to sell the business. But and chances, you, you, as you said, your units remain the same.
0: Yeah, chances are you'll be wanting to sell anyway, so that they'll just be selling it straight, back, giving it straight back to you. But um, that's why you know, even with shares in Australia, if you have a broker that's got a that offers chess sponsorship, you can just transfer across. Yeah, because you own the actual thing. Um, it's yeah, a lot of the custodial model is. It's probably the most common thing in the world. Um, It's just in Australia. We have an added level of protection, which is through the uh, chess sponsorship, especially if it's meant to get your own number. Um, So, not much. Not much. Like, we've had nothing, not something I'd be worried about. UBS has closed some of their ETFs in the last few years, Russell closed a couple of their ETFs.
1: It's only a lot of these wholesale, like sophisticated investor only. Trust you'd probably be more concerned about yeah
0: that. yeah and now yeah and particularly like if you're in illiquid things or yeah then it becomes a whole not, of, ETFs. No, not, not ETFs no not ETFs let's be clear about that um so great question um th- the same thing kind of happens with your brokerage account we get that question a lot as well if your broker goes bust well if again if they've got the assets would be segregated uh, for Australian brokers so great question the grappling giraffe says are there any be- I think we touched on this last week, are there any benefits of investing directly in an overseas listed ETF or do the tax tax implications negate the potential upside? Example of US listed ETFs I'm interested in are due to not having a direct ASX kind of alternative, uh, lithium miners, global copper miners, nickel futures, farmland REITs, farmland partners, which is another type of farmland REIT, thoughts.
1: Lit, the code, is pretty good, isn't it?
0: Lit, yeah, that's for (laughs) lithium. Um, Uh, I mean... They wouldn't get away with that in Australia because there's listed investment trusts. Is it? Yeah, you wouldn't be allowed to. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, my view was that the tax implications aren't that bad because we've got a double tax treaty with the US anyway, so you usually get a credit for anything... You've paid overseas, but the administration and the paperwork is significant. Ooh. So I'd be more concerned about what the holding costs are, what the trading costs, and if you're paying more to get your tax return lodged was generally what I'd what i look at. Have you read that ATO uh
0: yeah, documental tax on, on yeah, the yeah. foreign Jeez? Wow. <laughs> I've read all of them. That is um, yeah. that just makes your head explode that one. But um yeah, it's more the admin. Yeah. Um yeah. It's the admin side of things every year
1: you have to do a new wa ben i think and then particularly it? if you're doing it in an entity and not in your personal name
0: yeah that's where it gets complicated like we actually as part of the ras group because we earn a very small amount of youtube revenue not from this one because it's audio only um because we earn a very small amount of youtube revenue we have to do the eight ben form for youtube yeah and it just comes up and i'm just like, i can't be bothered <laughs> We do like 100 of them a year if you need help. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Not me, ask Roshanna. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Rashana, if you're listening. Um, so, yeah, and this is, so, yeah, if you've got to fill out the WA-BEN form. There's going to be some extra tax. You'll have foreign income and then you just, you know, it's it's a bit of a thing if you look at the ATO website for uh, foreign income. Honestly, you've got to, at the end of the day, you've got a question, is it worth that for a tactical exposure would be my Kind of thing like a, a lot of the core. you don't need to go outside australia for core etfs There's, you've got that everywhere you got enough here uh ms uh i know that's that's not a question for us here uh luke said hey gents loving the podcast would be keen for your collective wisdom on this one uh and the question i uh, i'll be a bit quick but the question is basically if you invest in the ivv etf which is the i s p 500 etf which has a unit price of around 600 bucks. And if you wanted to invest for your kids and you've got $1,000 and you want it just to reinvest the dividends or distributions, that would take a very, very, very long time for one amount of money to pay off, for the DRP to pay off a new unit. Now, I'm happy just to dive in here real quick, Luke, and say that what happens is, say you get you know 10 bucks in income from the S&P 500 ETF. You can elect to reinvest that via computer share or wherever you do the registry. It will take a very long time and the money will just sit there and computer share will report that in their annual report and collect any interest and say thank you very much. Now, you can recoup that money, um, but I think the thing to keep in mind is that yes, if it's for a child, there are alternatives. You can go into those kind of micro platforms where you get exposure for a few dollars even. That might be a better way to do it. Or even um, it's not obviously we're not giving you specific advice because we're not talking products, but uh, for what to do. But I would just say that there are alternatives to it. Um, there are alternatives to the IVV ETF, you know, there's I think VGS is a smaller unit price. And we know. hate dividend reinvestment.
1: You do? You just take yeah. cash and just do something with it. Yeah, and then just add it let it build up, don't overdo transaction costs and And buy more, or buy something else later on.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair point. There you go. There's another answer. So I don't, I don't mind DRPs too much, to be honest. Um, We've just had to do CGT calculations using. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Dividendary investment. What price did you buy this one at? What price did you buy this one at? Geez, yeah, three, four a
1: year for fifteen years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Pass that to your children. (laughs) Become a uh, Water Partners client, and they'll do it for you. No, so, um, yeah, to be honest, love the idea of reinvesting back in, but there are other ways to do it, other ways to to keep that kind of ticking over. And to be honest, I do prefer to take my DRP in cash just so then I can do something else with it if I want to. Mm -hmm. Nick says, hi, uh, thank you for the podcast. I think it has some very good discussion. Thank you uh nathan bell was on the was a very interesting interview recently he mentioned a commentator by the name tony schiller i have no idea of the spelling but unless he is a heavyweight karate champion i was unable to track him down could you please assist i think uh it's i can't remember the i'm gonna i've got i had it in my mind just before the schiller ratio is it no 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 not robert schiller um I can't remember his name now that's the top of my head. It's uh, ASX. Says, let's go to the next question and I'll circle back to this one. Roka <laughs> says, How do ETFs compound when you regularly invest when you're regularly investing? So how do they compound for you? Drew, I'll leave that to you while I try and find the answer to this other one.
1: The toughest question. <laughs> I mean the concept of compounding is, is is simply that you're reinvesting your earnings back into producing assets. So if it's like leaving interest payments on your bank account, which we haven't had for 10 years, Mm -hmm. but letting them go back in there and earning interest on interest. So the idea is either what uh, was it Luke was talking about before that you let any income that's being produced by that reinvest into the asset, or simply you reinvest the earnings that come out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you if you think about it, the companies you're owning in an ETF are also reinvesting in
0: themselves. So compounding their own
1: um, returns at the same time.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the, this is why one of the reasons, Roka, why I'm kind of a fan of the normal index fund ETFs rather than different types of ETFs that might try and slice and dice and more actively trade markets. Because if you have a, a normal ETF, let's say, when I say normal, I mean something like the Vanguard Australian Shares three, uh, ETF, which is the ASX 300 or the IVV ETF, or any of those ETFs, so they're just normal, they just invest in the index, um, they tend to grow with the the company. So BHP is the biggest company inside the on the ASX at the moment, so it's the biggest position inside the ETF. But there would have been a time when it wasn't. And so growing, that's basically what you get. People call that, some people would confuse that with momentum, but it's basically just the growth of the business. And so yeah. that's why, that's how you get compounding over time. Um, I don't have the, I don't have the name of the, uh, the investor, Nick, but uh, I will publish it on Twitter and I'm, tr- I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I went and read his um, letters just the other day. Some of his letters, his quarterly letters, are about 70 pages long. Um, that was a uh, wreck from Nathan Bell, for the intelligent investor. Um, great, great question from Roker as well. So this is another question for you, Do I feel like proud grandparent. Proud grandparent. I'm not a grandparent. Huh? <laughs> We're well, not a grandparent, but I'm oh, sure you have a few of these. Uh, <laughs> Proud <laughs> grandparent <Good> says, <laughs> wants to set up an investment account for the grandchild and invest $1,000 per year to then pass it on when the grandchild is 21. The thought is to buy a stock or ETF every year and leave it alone until he, she reaches 21 and hand over the trading account, Pardon me, to them to run. What is the best way of doing this?
1: I think you'll probably agree with me. And no, I won't. KISS principle. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Uh, you know, if you, we thought of buy a new ETF or a stock every year until they're 21. I assume they're one at the moment. So that's 20 different stocks you'll end up having. Mm-hmm. I think you've talked about the Van. I'm not sure what the code is because we don't... VDHG. VDHG. So that's the Vanguard high growth. So essentially, yep. it's I find it a much more straightforward, less stressful thing to buy an indexed, balance for this kind of purpose Mm -hmm. you know it's going to remain invested you know it's going to have a combination of different assets and you'll get the market return for the next 21 years Mm -hmm. stops you having to worry about you know if you think you've got 10 holdings you have got 10 dividend statements you've got 10 drps if that's what you're doing and you can just do it all in one so that's what not not specific advice but could be vanguard it could be iShares could be any of the diversified products but with these things keep it simple
0: yep i agree um you don't need to add the stupid in there do you In the KISS principle. No, Uh, no, not at all. It's a very smart thing to say, proud grandparent. Uh, Yeah, so you can do that. Um, There are very... It's important to seek tax advice if you do plan to invest a material amount of money because tax file numbers or not tax file numbers can sometimes impact. In Australia, a child cannot legally own shares because it's part of a company. So basically what has to happen legally is an adult has to own those shares. Either as trustee for or directly, yeah. So what Drew means by trustee is that there is an adult legal owner, but a child can be the beneficiary. So you can set it up with a broker. I'm sure there are numerous examples online of doing that. Um, The adult still gets
1: taxed on that income.
0: Yep. And then the key point, though, about doing it that way is that when you go to transfer the shares, you should just be able to transfer straight across because the beneficial ownership has not changed. So seek tax advice or just follow the guides on the broker's websites to do that um okay great great idea though like investing for kids is such a fantastic thing to do because uh when you think about it they've got an extremely long time horizon so that $1,000 from today that goes in got 18 years to compound or 21 years in instance. that's fantastic so good on you for, for getting them started um Drew when do I sell a loser I still hold zip <laughs> Never. <laughs> never. No, never. Well,
1: technically it's a winner because I made enough money out of it on the way up. Okay, And yeah. now it's just a yeah, bit pride.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, no worries, man. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, we've had a question from clients because we're recommending switching between two somewhat similar, which we generally prefer not to do. You know, it's unless something significantly changes, you don't want to do a like-for-like switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one we're switching out of is it has lost money. Uh, so... The natural question is, well, where am I going to recoup that? Um, and obviously, part of markets is not every investment performs as you expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one you'd only ever do it where the different, the new investment you believe has a significantly better opportunity to recoup that money. Um, the, I mean, one thing to remember is capital losses can be carried forward, so you, these losses aren't uh, aren't gone forever. Um, and yeah, making sure you you're putting into something that you're investing the entire proceeds mentally into the new investment yep. rather than taking out of the market completely and re- reducing the ability to recover
0: i think that's yeah, particularly the point people make a lot of there's a lot of bias in selling yeah um multiple layers of bias that out creep into our brain and we don't know about it um what i would say is that if you do look at a fund manager and they say sell it's important to understand that their constraints are very different from yours they have to be invested so their time horizons different, their circumstances are different. A lot of people will see a fund manager on their favorite website say sell for this, you know, or buy for that. Uh, even on this channel they'll come on and say that. So it's important to understand that they might be sa- saying sell because they have to be fully invested somewhere else and um you know their time horizons 2 years. Yeah, I mean they're what's it called um Oh, there's a theory about it too. I think you talk about
1: bonuses. A lot of these people are paid incentivized quarterly performance. So yeah, that's it. buy, sell, hold is almost a three month view, if not more, less. Yeah. Um. So, and it can, you'll see it'll change incredibly quickly. Something will turn from a sell to a buy pretty quickly.
0: And that's the thing. We are, uh, we say this quite a lot, we are measuring long term returns, but we're benchmarking them in the short term. So we expect long term returns, but we, Score them every quarter. That's why I quarterly reviews are yeah. <laughs> always
1: challenging. <laughs> yeah, Career yeah. risk is what I was going to say. Career risk, yeah, 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 for sure. Which I think you've done a session on too. Yeah,
0: but see, that's, that's for example for you, right? Your client comes in, they're like, hey, listen, I'm down, you know, whatever. And you could be like, "Couldn't maybe I could have just reported annually and it'd be better by then. Because yeah. the, the way we, the, the things that we, I was listening to Simon Russell, actually, a podcast by him recently. Yeah. And um, the way we think about investing is everything is like, augmented to the present so if you're a three-month negative return hurts more than a since inception positive result yeah so most of us don't highlight the short-term results but that's what everyone wants to know about yeah Um, and so here's one of his pieces of advice to fund managers actually instead of going three months six months 12 months three years five years from left to right do it the other way around
1: and I think I mentioned this three months ago that they started doing that
0: yeah they did they all started (laughs) flipping them around and it makes sense Um, Because it does. So finally, I found the answer to the question from earlier on. I just did high quality Australian fund manager in Google and I got down to like the sixth page and I finally found who I was looking for. So this is from Nick. Your question about which fund manager it was. Tony Schenner from Selector Funds Management. Selector Funds. I don't know if you've heard of them.
1: I think Jake in Atchison's
0: knows them quite well. Yeah, so they've got this super long-term focus, super, super long-term and uh, brilliant quarterly newsletters. So um, yeah, highly recommended. Hopefully we can have them on the show one day, but um, go and check those out. Um, And then we've got kind of like one final question, which I might just jump onto here, which is, it came through in the RASCore forums, uh, which is our membership site. Uh, Basically the math behind offset accounts versus shares. A lot of people, a lot of our members at RASC are saying, I'm just going to stick it in an offset account while interest rates are high and avoid the stock market. Uh, sure, it's definitely, an, emotionally it's easier. What do you think about that?
1: It depends on your mortgage and your situation generally and if it's non-deductible, you know, you're really, if you think about the after-tax, you've got that on there, the after-tax return of putting in your mortgage is a guaranteed return. Yep, You're saving that money. Uh, so I generally tilt towards that. But you probably want a long-term wealth creation strategy, which could be mm. something like debt recycling, where, you know, every dollar you're putting into your offset, you eventually start drawing from an investment facility and then go back into other assets. Yeah. But it's, it yeah, has to no. be at the right time, depending on your, you know, your light, the stage of your life as well. Yeah.
0: Well, well said, actually. That's kind of like the next step that people should consider taking. Um,
1: I'm just loading up my... Offset account at the moment. I oh, so. you are yeah, yeah
0: yeah, which is fair. And then when you've got that capital ready to deploy, when the the, the the math is that make sure you compare the the after tax return from the stock market versus the the interest rate on your mortgage. Whereas a lot of people just go stocks should return ten percent, mortgage at five percent, buy stocks. Buy stocks. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really how it works. Um, and so that's where it's like you said, it's personal. Um, but then I'd also say. Typically, once the stock market has fallen, the forward-looking yield is the highest. Now we don't know that for sure. That's the uncertainty. Whereas the offset, we know what it's getting. Yeah. So that's the continuous trade-off that everyone's got to make, and it happens at every point in the cycle. Um, you know, percentages do count, but also sleep at night. Sleep at night factor really counts. Definitely. I'm, I I like to be in the habit of continually investing. To be honest, so that's yeah, it's me, mate. I know you've got to run a fantastic episode. If you want to send any of your questions in, please head to any of the RASC websites and you'll see a big link in the menu that says, ask a question. Please select the Australian Investors Podcast. That is the one where Drew and I can answer your questions. Uh, shout out to our Australian Business Podcast listeners. If you have made the commute across to the Australian Business Podcast, Heaps of fun. Um, across there, we're talking to small businesses, private companies. Had Matt from Birchall on the show. Virtual, the uh, crowdfunding platform. Drew, wattlepartners.com.au It's where to go. Yep,
1: yep. And we're. I think we'll be releasing a kind of uh, questionnaire or like a, a contact form yep. soon that'll make it easier
0: to yeah. contact us. Fantastic. And um, yeah, you'll find Drew's email there, wattlepartners.com.au forward slash contact. Um, mate hope you have a blast at the ESG retreat. I mean, I'll see you before you go. Yeah, two weeks still. Two weeks still. Sold out, though. Yeah. Congrats. Well done. Thank the team. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> Karis, Jamie, all the team. Well done, guys. Uh, mate, thanks for joining me today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks again.